Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. You know, there's a billion things you can do in the outdoors. And when you're having fun in the outdoors and you spend time in the outdoors, that's when you start to connect with the outdoors. And what a great time of year to be thinking about being outdoors. Lawrence Gunther is the host of the podcast Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which is a mix of interesting facts about our environment and outdoor activities and includes interviews with blind people who enjoy the outdoors. We'll speak with Lawrence, who is blind himself, about the podcast, as well as about some of his own adventures in nature. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Lawrence Gunther. I get a lot of emails through the blindfishingboat.com website uh, from people who are losing their vision or family members of uh, people who are losing their vision. And they say, hey, we want to set up my uncle, brother, sister, whatever, to go fishing. Can you recommend or can you pair them up with someone? And I, I always reply that a lot of people own a fishing boat and they're always looking for someone to take that extra seat in the boat to fish with but you need to be able to hold your own a little bit in terms of how to fish so you're not going to get a lot of return calls and invitations if you're going fishing with someone and expecting them to do it all for you you really need to learn how to tie a knot how to thread the line through the fishing rod and through the eye of the hook and do these things Every angler can tie in their favorite knot in the dark. So learning how to tie these fishing knots, you only really need to learn one, like the improved clinch knot. So there's no reason why you can't do all these things, like put your own hooks and baits on and, and, and get your rod ready and learn to cast. You can do all this and practice all this in your backyard or in your home. Get good at that, get a fishing rod, and then you'll make a lifelong friend. I met so many blind people that have lifelong friends with sighted people, and that's what they do together. They go fishing. Nice. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2021 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu slash nvc and by navi lens a four color qr code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it now using augmented reality navi lens 360 vision locates the navi lens codes in a 3d space Available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at N-A-V-I-L-E-N-S dot com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Lawrence. I'm Lawrence Gunther. I'm the host of the podcast Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. And uh, I do it with my 14-year-old daughter. She takes me on about environmental issues. She schools me and my listeners. And then together we explore some bucket list ideas around Canada, places we like to go to in the outdoors. I give some tips and tech advice on how to do it as someone without sight. And then I do a little reflection thing at the end. You know, I've been going blind my entire life starting at age eight. 
and um, totally blind now in my 50s, but I still love the outdoors. And in case anybody can't tell from your very subtle accent, you are Canadian. <laughs> What's that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In addition to your podcast about the outdoors, which we'll talk about in just a bit, you are actually quite an outdoorsman yourself. I really, you know, loved growing up in the outdoors. I grew up in a small town. I was just missing my central vision. So I was able to do all the things my brothers did to a great extent, even though I was registered blind at age eight. And then, you know, you go off to college, university in the city, and you start a family and you start a career. And some of that stuff sort of takes a second seat for a while. But then as my kids started growing up, I wanted to get them introduced to it. So we started camping and uh, tent camping, RVing and got a got convinced my wife to get a boat let us get so now we have i have a few boats now and yeah just you know and, and got sponsored you know, fish competitively just really getting into it in a big way and what is your career i've been working in the government in various jobs um in the federal government here in canada i started off as a diplomat with our foreign service department and then I realized that, you know, Canada is such a great place. I, there's not too many other countries I wanted to live. So then I did a whole bunch of stuff around technology and information technology for people with disabilities. And now I'm in agriculture and I'm doing mainly around uh, farm animal welfare. More policy than actually being out there with the animals. Yes. Yeah, I, exactly. I do the policy that has to do with setting standards on how farm animals should be treated. Good. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Lawrence Gunther's podcast, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, and some of his personal outdoors experiences, as well as some of our own. Well, I thought we'd start out today, Lawrence, by talking a little bit about your podcast, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. So give us a quick overview of what this podcast is like. Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is my first podcast where I'm really speaking to people with vision loss. You know, I've been doing another podcast, the Bluefish Radio, for nine years now. But to that one, I'm, I'm really speaking to um, scientists, anglers, conservationists. And it's one of the top natural science podcasts now in the world. It really does well. But I really felt that I wanted to do something to pass on my knowledge and my experience to inspire young people. I was thinking young people living with vision loss to sort of, you know, put the put down the shiny tech and, and step off the sidewalk a bit and reconnect with nature. It's so important especially now with everything going on with climate change and, uh, you know, regreening the environment and the economy, nature needs a voice. And uh, who better to give a voice to the voiceless than storytellers and, and blind people have been storytellers for thousands of years. What I thought was particularly interesting and unique about your podcast was, although it is directed at people who are visually impaired, it isn't solely that. You seem to always start out with something very educational about the environment where you and your daughter talk about some current events about the environment or teach something about the environment to people. And then you get into a section where you talk about 
some blind person doing something outdoors and something that you might not think of a blind person doing and how they might be able to do that. Every episode has a theme. And then you're right. Yeah, we, so we start off with the big picture, the 10,000 foot level. And then like we just did one on, on maple syrup, making maple syrup. So we start with trees and we talk about trees and how they're networked and how they depend on each other and how they communicate with each other. And it's all of this interesting tech stuff. And I, I know, like I'm blind and I love knowledge like that, like real practical knowledge about how things worked. And, and especially when it has to do with non-visual aspects of life. And there's so much about nature that's non-visual. People look at a tree and they just see a trunk and a bunch of branches and leaves. They don't realize the whole world of communication that's taking place in the earth through the roots, the wood wide web. That's all hidden, just like what's happening beneath the rivers and the, the, the lakes and the oceans. You know, like Canada, if you look at our three oceans and our lakes and rivers, we're 70% of Canada is pretty much water. And what's happening beneath there is mostly hidden. So it, it needs to be visualized. And who best to visualize than someone who does it all day long? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, as you point out, people who can't see do interpret the world very differently. Nancy and I walk through the woods a lot together, and I'm listening to the birds and saying, wow, what kind of bird is that? She looks up, all she sees is leaves. <laughs> it's a very different experience for her walking through the woods. It, it is. And when people sit on their dock at their cottage or their deck and they're overlooking the water or they're sitting on the beach, they're looking at the waves, they're looking at the sun and the clouds reflecting off the surface, but their, their visual dependence prevents them from seeing past that surface image of the beauty of their waterfront property or the, or the vacation that they're on, you know, by visualizing it, by not seeing that, I think you automatically go past that surface and you look with your mind, what's beneath the surface, you know, are there sharks down there or there <laughs> man eaters, but beyond that, like, how is it all existing? And I, I really believe that if people understood how much change we've inflicted on our aquatic and marine ecosystems, they would be freaked out because we've changed those worlds so much through our actions. You know, it used to be that we could toss stuff into the water and everyone said, you know, out of sight, out of mind, it just washed away, disappeared. And that was fine for thousands and thousands of years when everything we had was, you know, biodegradable, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, we're tossing stuff in there, our water that's totally not good. The other thing that's quite neat about your podcast is that it really integrates with a lot of the fun extracurricular activities that you talked about that you're involved in. And I think that's really nice because you always interview someone who is blind and participates in some sport like ice skating or ice fishing, but you've done a lot of these yourself. In fact, you're quite a fisherman, I understand. Yeah. You know, I started with this plastic boat thing. I love fishing, always have. And then when uh, the GPS started talking, it gave me my um, ability to get back on the water and navigate on my own. And I put this boat together back in 2007 called the blind fishing boat. And I had talking GPS, talking compasses, sonars and, and, and detectors and talking depth sounders. And I get my hands on, I, I Velcroed onto that plastic boat with an electric motor. And as a, as a blind person, I can legally drive that boat around 
and I've been doing that and it's still going on and I'm still testing technology and the website's still pretty popular. But then I got into fishing tournaments because, you know, fishing mostly is about fishing blind. Uh, a fishing rod really is a white cane with a reel strapped to one end and an extension of your finger. That's the fishing line that comes out the other end. You know, you cast that line out with a lure and it, you can feel how long it takes for that lure to sink to the bottom. And that tells you how deep the water is. You can feel the lure dragging on the bottom and that tells you what's down there. And, you know, it's just, if the lure is moving, you can tell if there's current, you can tell if there's what kind of fish. I know what kind of fish bites my lure just by the way they bite my lure. I can, I, I right away, I'll tell my buddy, oh, it's a this or it's a that. And, and normally I'm, I'm right all the time. I do a lot of tournaments, less so now, but I do about a dozen tournaments a year. I've done maybe close to 200 tournaments in my lifetime against sighted people. And um, I beat most of them most of the time. Well, fishing is one of those activities where, as you described, even if you can see, you can't see beyond the surface of the water. And most of the action is happening below the surface of the water. It's totally true. And then you, you hear these, you know, really top professional anglers, right? They get make thousands of dollars and win checks of a hundred thousand dollars for winning a tournament and and it everything's organized their fishing rods and their tackle and their lures and they're trying to figure out what's down there and they're describing how they caught the fish and it, it's really well technically described right up until the point when the fish bites and then they say and and then i got a bite but they don't know how to explain it but they're they're getting better at, and it's amazing how anglers are really becoming good at explaining what they can't see and using their sense of feel. And you're buying these fishing rods that can cost up to $1,000 because they have a really good ability to transmit feel to the hand. You know, they're pretending to be blind and they don't even know it. <laughs> so what are some of your other favorite outdoor activities? You want to be happy when you're in nature. So do, being happy means doing things like canoeing, um, hiking, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, ice fishing, boating, camping. You know, there's a billion things you can do in the outdoors. And when you're having fun in the outdoors and you spend time in the outdoors, that's when you start to connect with the outdoors. I think one of the most amazing feelings for me is spending a day on my boat and my mind and my hearing just expands because there's no walls there's no ceiling and i'm instead of hearing a lot of noises around me like in a built environment i'm hearing you know waves roll up on shores hundreds of yards away and that tells me where the shores are i'm hearing wind and birds and trees and that's telling me the where the shoreline follows i'm hearing other boats go by and their motor coming and going and that tells me the length of the lake and the direction i could take and uh, there's just all this information that's subtle in, in its sound. But mostly what I'm hearing on the, on the water is nothing. Just the lapping of the, the water against the side of the boat. And like 90% of the time, my boat's running around on electric motor, even my big boat. You know, I, I hardly ever turn on that big motor just to get somewhere. And then we turn it off. And we use the electric motor to move around. So it just expands the mind and makes me feel very tiny in a very big space. I love that feeling. But it's weird when I come home and I walk into the house, it's like I'm crawling inside a very small box because 
everything just seems so small all of a sudden by the sound. Right. I enjoy hiking out here in Colorado for much the same reason. You hike up these mountains and the views, from what I understand, are stupendous. You can see for, you know, tens of miles, if not a hundred miles or so. But if you're blind, you sense all that around you. You just get a real sense of the huge surround and you're part of this big earth. It was very different than our hiking back east where it was primarily very dense forest. Isn't it nice when you're in a forest and the wind is going through the tops of the trees? That is true. Yes. It just gives you a sense of um, majesty. And these trees are so big, so big. And then sometimes you get to hear the streams that are hidden in the woods that the sighted people unfortunately can't see, but you get a good sense of being near them. Whitewater rafting and whitewater canoeing. Yeah. As a blind person, you have to be careful because whitewater sounds 10 times worse than it is. When you hear all that turbulence, all those rapids and, and falls and things like that, it sounds absolutely overwhelming. But in reality, it doesn't take a lot of movement in water to make a lot of sound. I'll tell you what, tip: never camp just above the rapids you're going to canoe the next morning because you won't sleep awake all night. You'll be <laughs> thinking about the rapids and all that noise. Well, but you also still have to treat water with some amount of respect. We live very close to a fairly small creek, and every year during the spring runoff, a couple people drown in it. Yeah, fishing fishing is probably one of the deadliest professions in the world in terms of losing your life. Um, but that's mostly commercial fishing and com boats that fish. But for sure, you know, people fall through the ice in the winter, ice fishing. Uh, people canoe in the spring when the water's ice cold and they don't have a life jacket on and they, they die of hypothermia. There's always accidents that really should be preventable. You really have to manage the risk and, and be safe. Like if I'm waiting, if I'm fly fishing a river and I'm waiting, I use one of those telescopic, you know, those, those leashes for the dogs that sort of wind in and out, you know, they're sort of a, a yeah, yeah. yeah. So I put, I, I snap the handle to the back of my waiter and I put the clip on my dog and the dog doesn't want to go in the river. He'll just stay on the shore. Dogs are dogs, right? They're not going to go in the river all the time if they don't need to. But that way, if I wade out too far, I, I know I, you know, I can only get 25 feet away from the dog. And when you're out in the river, you can feel the pressure of the river against your legs. So you know which way is upstream, but it's important you sort of come back the way you, you, you went out because there could be bars. You're walking along a bar and you don't want to be all of a sudden there's a big hole, a deep spot between you and the shoreline that you have to get to uh, that's going to go over your waders you know you can't swim in waders so you have to really come back the way you went having a good waiting staff they really make amazing collapsible waiting staffs for for fly fishers who fish rivers i tell you they should use some of that technology to make white canes because th these things are amazing and uh absolutely is amazing and, and and they're good to have you know for balance and for feeling what's in front of you but just having that connection with my dog on shore through that leash keeps me from wandering too far away from the shore into areas where I shouldn't be. I, at least I can always find my way back to the dog anyways. And it's a good way of knowing which is the safe direction to go in should you want to get out of the river. 
<laughs> and the, I, we do I do it on the canoe too, right? Or my little boat. I use a 10 foot leash and I put a life jacket on the dog. I always have a life jacket on my dog. And I put the, and I clip one into the life jacket of the dog and the other into one of my loops on my life jacket. And that way, if the canoe or my kayak flips or my boat, you know, somehow sinks for some reason or flips and, and, and the dog is, they're going to swim to shore and to have that connection with my dog is I'm going to follow him with that tether. And also if my dog falls out of the boat, I can always just reel them back in with my hands and then pull them back into the boat because that's annoying when the dog falls off the canoe or out of the boat. And then you're trying to find him by hearing and he's swimming to the boat or he's swimming away for land. <laughs> and then you have to follow him. You don't want to be doing that by yourself too often. It's just, that yeah. could take up a lot of time. Sounds like you've had that happen. Oh, I had one dog. He was always falling out of the boat. Oh, he was amazing. <laughs> Are these guide dogs or pets? Guide dogs. You know, people have trained guide dogs to do all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. There's so much, you know, I, I realized I was training my dogs over the years. Like I've had, had, uh, I've had guide dogs now for 35 years. And yeah, they, you know, how to guide on a, on a narrow trail where you have to walk behind the dog and just on leash and how to do that going up a steep incline. And coming down, it's all different, right? You can hold the harness going up, but you're not going to be able to hold that harness coming back down. So you got to make the leash really long and then have a stick with you. So when I'm hiking with my guide dog, I'm always bringing a stick. And a hike and pole is really good for just feeling the rocks. It, it, you know, you can have someone describe it to you or you can just feel it for yourself. And then sometimes it just gets too technical. So I'll just, you know, hold up the end of my stick and my friend will grab it with their hand and we'll just do single file, you know, the, my friend, me, the dog behind me. And I just follow that pole. But when it, when it's more open and uh, the trail's more predictable, you know, you can do it on your own, just with your dog when it's wide enough or you just with your dog and your stick, if it's getting a little technical, there's many ways to do that. And it all comes with experience. And that's more or less what we do. If we're on a wide open trail along a Creek, it's relatively flat. We'll just, walk along either holding hands or I'll hold someone's shoulder. But if we're on a mountain trail that's narrow and windy and rocky, I find those hiking sticks very useful. They make very nice ones these days that are light and collapsible, very sturdy. When we first started hiking, I started out using a, just a regular cane, and I found that was totally unacceptable after a very short period of time. They do bend if you fall on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, the worst that happened was it was a collapsible cane with a bungee cord up the middle, and we were fording a stream, and he put it into the stream a little too hard, and when he went to pull it out, the bottom stayed in the muck, Oh yeah. and the top did not, and when they reconnected, that wasn't pretty, but we got really lucky. A troop of Boy Scouts showed up, and they fixed it. I like a wooden hiking pole. I use a wooden one, uh, just a one-piece wooden one. I find that it's not going to come apart. It's not going to collapse on me. Plus they float. That's a nice thing too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess since you're often on the water, that's a good thing. Oh, I've lost so many white canes off docks. You know, it's always at the dock when you're climbing in and out of a boat, you put your white cane down on the dock and then you don't realize that half of it's hanging over the edge of the dock and it just tips and boom, and it's gone. Like they sink like rocks. Anything else we missed? 
No, it's, you know what? I really appreciate the time you guys give me to, to speak with you and, and share this passion I have for being in the outdoors. I hope uh, it's infectious. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for blind and low vision people to resume that role of, of storyteller. I, I learned myself when I was back in the late 1980s, I was spending time up in the Arctic and I was asking Inuit and native people who lived up there, it, what, what they did with people with disabilities before white people came around, you know, and, and uh, like, how did they help or were they, what did they do with them? And they all kept saying, we never had disabled people. We never had handicapped people. And then it took me like weeks of talking to these people to finally realize that it was a language issue to them. Disability or handicap is a modern concept. And it's when people get a pension, a disability pension, because they can't work. But before that, you know, one guy told me about his uncle who was blind, but he was the storyteller and, and he was well provided for, you know, he never had to hunt. He had a family, he had children because he was their internet. He was their magazine. He was their radio. He was their television. They never had any of that. So they counted on this blind guy to entertain them all the time, to tell stories. And the stories, of course, had values and morals and lessons to pass on to the children embedded in them as well. But the, the blind storyteller was a highly, highly um, prized individual in a lot of uh, Indigenous communities for many, many thousands of years. I think the bottom line is we all have certain limitations and we all have certain special abilities also. And you just have to balance those and use them to your best advantage. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so much language about blindness in, in popular media, songs, poetry, even the Bible, and none of it's positive, right? It's always like a negative thing. I think it's up to us to try to find ways to articulate blindness as a positive thing and, and to define that and, and embrace it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success, success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Lawrence Gunther, how to find his podcast, and how to contact him directly. Lawrence, if people would like to listen to your wonderful podcast with you and your daughter, where can they find that? It's on all the podcast providers. If you just ask your smart speaker for Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, or Apple Podcast has it, or uh, all the other ones as well. If you want to know more about me, you can visit my website, Lawrence Gunther. The Gunther is G-U-N-T-H-E-R, lawrencegunther.com. The Blind Fishing Boat has got its own website, and it's uh, blindfishingboat.com. You'll get there. And, and that guide dog series, it's called Makings of a Guide Dog. So if you Google Makings of a Guide Dog, you'll find uh, the videos online. And they're described as well. You've talked about your daughter a lot. What's her name? Lily. I have actually four daughters, but she's the youngest one. Lily is the one I do the podcast with. And my son, he's now our technician. <laughs> Make it a full family activity. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a social media presence? Yeah. Lawrence Gunther Outdoors on Facebook and, and Instagram. Twitter, it's just at Lawrence Gunther. So we're, we're on social media. 
And we'll have all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2123. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about differences in mobility using a white cane versus a guide dog. Is a guide dog right for you, or would you prefer to navigate with a white cane? What are the trade-offs? If I decide to get a dog, what is the process? We'll speak with Jake Koch, Community Outreach Specialist at Guide Dogs for the Blind, about the answers to these questions and the services offered by Guide Dogs for the Blind. We hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.